step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This time I'm walking to New Orleans. I'm walking to New Orleans. sides of the story. Um, this episode is entitled 10 Years Since. Um, my name is Poetry. I am the owner and CEO of Two Sides of the Story Productions. I am going to bring someone that's going to co-host with me. Um, let's call this a joint production. His name is Jason Sorrell, Jason and he is the owner of True Radio Network. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing doing fantastic, man. Ever since you told me, uh, th- yeah, thanks thanks for the introduction. Ever since you told me you were going to do this show, uh, the first thing I said was like, I'd love I'd love to be there because uh, it's. I feel like there's a whole there are two things happening with with this subject uh, in the media. It's it's being put up as weekend news, and and as you know, you know I'm a media guy. Weekend news always is seen less. People really don't watch news on the weekend. And a lot of very, very, very low, low-key specials. Uh, the, you know, there's no uh, statements going on from certain leaders. No remembering. I mean, the, you know, the last thing you see is is, is, is George W. Bush in a school taking selfies with uh, kids from the same area. You know, that that's really the most one of the most publicized moments of this anniversary. I'm just a little confused by what seems like the lowballing of, of the media on this one. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I want to touch on. 
Um, let's just start it off with the whole, and, and this is against no one in particular, just my personal opinion when I think about Katrina every year that it comes up. I hate calling it an anniversary because when I think of anniversary, I'm married. I think about my marriage, you know, my married anniversary, the year that we've been married. That's something that you celebrate. So I don't like using the word anniversary. Remembrance is a better word title for me. And I'm not knocking anyone that chooses to use the word anniversary. Just for me, it's a little bit too cheery than I want to keep it. Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely not about breaking out the champagne and, and, and celebrating, but, you know, and also at the same time, I don't see a lot of these uh, flags that have staff moments that you see with uh, other other tragic days or errors in history. I don't see a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, fundraisers going on, you know, I, you know, send money to help. It, it's almost like the, the world wanted to turn the, the other cheek and turn quite a small blind eye. And you know, and I think it's a huge mistake that America's missing the chance to analyze. Because you know, the country never quite analyzed what really took place down there on the ground. You know what I mean? Well, it was, it was, it was, today we're going to discuss it because I, I know. So let, let's really get into the nitty gritty of it. And and I'm going to warn everyone now: this is not going to be a show maybe appropriate for kids because we are not censoring ourselves. So if you have kids around that's listening, you might want to move them away right now. I'll give you a minute to move them because what we're going to talk about is going to be some adult content, some very explicit language with certain cases because I'm fired up about this, and it's not kid appropriate. So if you have kids around, definitely leave leave the have them leave the room now. All right. All right. And that should be enough time for anybody that had kids around to move. So, being from New Orleans, because I was born and raised in New Orleans, as a matter of fact, I was there up to the Sunday before Katrina. And, of course, I dealt with the aftermath afterwards. Um, There's a lot of stuff that was publicized in the media that they never, and then there's a whole much, bunch more that was never publicized. Even to this day, if you look at pictures that they send people of New Orleans, it's the French quarters and downtown and certain areas of uptown. And it's like New Orleans is coming back. It's better. It's new. It's great. How about you show those pictures of the night walk? I'm originally, again, being from New Orleans, I've been to New Orleans since the storm. I should not be able to go home and walk in certain areas of my city and still see houses where FEMA put freaking marks on it showing there was, of course, of course, if you're not familiar with the marks, people, examiners went to people's houses and they put marks and on the marks it was like a little X and each spot in the X told you either how many people were dead, how many animals were dead, you know, things of that nature. I should not be able to go home and see that. Ten years later, that's that's just ridiculous. Um, I have Dulce Diva. She's an, another one of my hosts on the network, and she's also the vice president of Two, um, Two Sides of the Story Productions. Um, I know she wanted to talk a little bit on it. 
hello, everyone, um, and welcome. I appreciate everybody who's participating and listening and tuning in tonight. This is a very uh, <clears throat> sensitive subject um, for obvious reasons. And for me, I think it was so much down, like it was so downplayed on the media. Like it was, it's a, it was downplayed to the fact where you would see, you they showed you only certain things. Um, they made you, it was the way that they presented it, like, oh, Katrina did this. And it, it wasn't until I actually was having a conversation with poetry about the situation and what happened and how actually the reason for why the levees, you know, were were broken and it caused so much devastation and so much um, chaos and so much loss, not only to the people of New Orleans, but to the state of Louisiana and other and other um, adjoining areas too. So it, it it's just so overwhelming and just so heart wrenching for me to kind of get a glimpse of that um, via some of the um, avenues that documented and people that were actually talked about in, in um, when they created um, when the levees broke. And so it's, it, you know, this is something for me that I, I really want to touch on because me being from this area and just only being familiar with what I had seen on TV because of the news and the coverage that was done, and to see um, what wasn't done when we actually went to New Orleans in 2012, it was heartbreaking and devastating that 10 years later, it still looks like it's frozen in time, just with less water. But everything just looks still so... Um, so broken and it's it's not mended it, it and it's sad so what i'd love to know is from a, a outsider's perspective what what your first time hearing about the hurricane katrina and what was going on in new orleans what did what were you seeing and what was your initial reaction i'm sorry that question i directed to me Oh, okay. Um, as something I always notice, and uh, you know, when when uh, again, it's it's us being with spoiled Americans. As much as I love America, I can tell you that we are we're one spoiled country. When we hear that a hurricane or a superstorm is coming, we don't. A, a lot of us, some of us panic, but a lot of us don't react. Even here, when Superstorm Sandy was supposed to level the area, my ass literally went outside and and was in walking through Superstorm Sandy. So when you when you see that there's a hurricane that's going to hit the coast, we were so I feel like we're so trained to see you know okay a hurricane battered Florida here and there, a hurricane has hit certain other states here and there. You know we we know the deal. There'll be a couple charity shows and it's over. When when but when and I feel like everybody kind of downplayed Katrina because the media hypes up every storm. Every storm gets this death spiral coming at the country with these numbers in it. Oh my God, it's a Category 55. And it just and it just destroyed an island in the Bahamas, you know. And you're like, so so we get kind of numb to the warning. Well, 
And and so when it did hit, uh, what a lot of people don't know, and I just want to I just want to round this up. I've always known this about Hurricane Katrina because I really saw it, uh, you know, extensively. As opposed to most people just kind of watch it and it's like, well, there goes another hurricane, what have you. But what people don't know is, you know, the the, the hurricane category system because you always hear the hurricane category, or whatever. It's one through five, one being minimal, but five being catastrophic. And Hurricane Katrina was a level five hurricane. Make no mistakes about it. And a lot of people, and a lot of people don't get that. A lot of people still don't get that. A lot of people don't get that Hurricane Katrina was number three on the top ten list of hurricanes according to the United States Hurricane Center. It was the third hardest hurricane to ever hit the country. And we, and when when I have to, when I have to force that down people's throats, uh, oftentimes they're like, oh, wow, yeah, okay, I know what you're saying. Well, you got to, the data's out there. So when, when, you, when I, I knew that going in and I saw what it did and I kind of had a feeling that it was going to be the big one, and it sure was, and, and, I, and the, I was so appalled at the federal government's response to the hurricane. And I don't know if you want to specifically get to that specific part later, but I was so appalled and disgusted and I feel like Every American should have been. It was definitely, I felt like we were definitely just thrown to the side. When it comes to a hurricane, it's not like a tornado or an earthquake or any of those sudden storms that happen within a day's time. It doesn't just pop up and you have no time to plan. Usually you can predict a hurricane at the very least, three days ahead of time. And, that, and like I said, that's being nice about it. Three days ahead of time. Usually you have about a week to plan, a week, maybe a week and a half. If you had so much time to plan for certain stuff to get done, and I don't know if it was a local government thing. I don't know if it was a state government thing. I don't know if it was a federal government thing. I personally, after reading over everything, it was just one clusterfuck of all of them dropping the ball. It's a problem for me. Too many people's lives are at, are at stake in situations like that. To live in that city for 20-plus years and find out in this way that we were told we were had we had storm levees and walls that can withstand a category five st- storm, and then come to find out we have storm walls that can barely stand a category three storm is extremely bothering me. And I'm going to bust a lot of people's bubble of something that they didn't know: New Orleans didn't get hit by Katrina. We never got hit by Katrina. We, the eye of Katrina moved to the right when it came to landfall. So we were on the western side, side of the storm. We never literally got hit by Katrina. We were just in Trina's, Katrina's pathway. So that's a, a lot of people are thinking, well, you know, you got hit by Katrina, and I can understand his devastation. No, we didn't. I think we might have gotten winds and rain up to Category 3, at the best, Category 3. And that's, for me, that was something that I, the way that, you know, the media plays it, oh, Katrina really hit New Orleans. And when we were talking about it and you said, well, actually, Katrina didn't hit New Orleans. 
And so I'm like, okay, so what happened? Like, how how was it that if you guys didn't get hit, what? Why was there such flooding and and such 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 a catastrophe if Katrina didn't hit? And then he said, you know, Poetry tells me, well, the levees broke, or the the levees were broken, and there and there is a difference. Yeah, I use the term the levees break broke very loosely. I'll get into that when we start talking, delving into the federal response. You know, because I have friends that stayed in the night ward around somewhat of levees broken, and everybody's story is literally exactly the same way. And anybody that knows me knows I'm not a big conspiracy theorist person. I'm not, but I'm also a common sense person. But not going to jump ahead. Let's keep it moving. Um, so we never got hit with an actual storm. Up to Category 3 t- um, winds, rain, tops. We, we deal with that, I won't say regularly, but we know how to deal with it. But that, on top of the levees breaking, was the big clusterfuck that fucked up everything. And then when you add the lack thereof of government response to this and the lack of organization for a situation like this, it just was one, it just was horrible. That's the best way to put it. It was horrible. Uh, you're talking at, at, at on some scales, a minimum of roughly around 1,200 deaths, other scales, uh, anywhere between 1,800 to 2,000 deaths. Uh, you, you're talking about several, several hundreds of thousands of people misplaced. Hurricane Katrina set off an actual refugee crisis within the United States that the United States did not focus on. There are still people that are displaced by Hurricane Katrina. And, and that, that was another, you know, very heartbreaking part for me, knowing, seeing the reports of the hundreds of thousands of people with literally nowhere to go. Hundreds of thousands of people, some of them literally packed into a stadium that wasn't policed, and, 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 and horrific things happen because people always don't know how to control themselves when, when, they're, when they're in situations like that, when they have nothing, you know. And, 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 and it, 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 it was such a disaster that could have been averted. Let me tell you, uh, Poetry and, and, and uh, Dolce, you guys know me. I, the last thing I want is the government knocking on my door telling me to do something. But maybe, maybe, instead of throwing up, spending all that uh, National Guard or National, the reservist time putting up water bags that, that you could just tell that weren't going to do a damn thing. Maybe they could have went and made the evacuations. I know they did evacuate, but it was, it was after the fact. It was when it was too late. And and which was which is kind of weird. There are some people said, ah, "I'm here, I'm staying," you know, and some of those people did suffer from that decision. But they could have done it beforehand. I I know you all remember seeing the 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 uh, parking lots and parking lots full of school buses, and the media's and that and that and the media gets it right every once in a while. They're going, "Well, why aren't they using this to get people out of town? Why are there strands of people walking down the street carrying children, trying to get senior citizens down the street?" not having anywhere to go, literal tent cities being built. I'd like to do a piece, but I don't really write articles, but if I did, I'd write a piece on the refugee crisis that, in America that didn't go discuss because that, that's what happened. 
Oh, most definitely. Um, I, I know the picture that you're speaking of, and I even know where those buses are. And it's funny because I want to say maybe three or four weeks ago, I was reading an article about a known drug dealer in New Orleans and how he saved a group of people in his um, neighborhood by going steal some buses and getting them out of town. So what you're telling me is a drug dealer can go in a bus, bus yard, grab keys, and get people out of town, but our own government can't do it because they're too busy with bureaucratic red tape. Get the fuck out of here. Um, we, we have somebody on the line. I'm going to put them on. Um, last four, zero, seven, nine, two, you are on the line. What's up? This is Alma Joy. Hey, Alma Joy. Uh, you know, this is like a, a touchy topic for me because I was in the Navy when it happened. And they sent me and a few of my homegirls. And it was a couple that was um, on the Comfort that actually sat in the Mississippi that were part of casualty receiving. Mm-hmm. And I was at the... I was at the uh, air base. And even waiting, you know, for orders or what have you, or for people to come in, I personally feel like that process was slow as fuck. Because even in 2015, if we were have if if we were to have another hurricane like Katrina or Katrina-esque happen again, it would be a repeat of what happened in New Orleans all over again. Like, you really see it. They can sit here and say that, oh, you know, the Army Corps engineers, you know, they're working on the levees and this, that, and the third, but there were so many breakdowns in communication on the ground for when the shit really hit the fan that nobody will ever talk about or even explain to you. And that's the part that's that's even more disturbing. So it's like, it's like, the other person said, you know, you, you've activated all these people to come help and, and, and help out of this situation, but even then, like, the bureaucratic red tape was there. And as a true, as a, you know, as a sailor, you know what I'm saying, being pulled from a hospital, told we're sending you to New Orleans for this, for this, for this disaster, and you still don't know what the fuck's going on? I think we were probably there for 48 hours before we were even told to take water off off of a truck to put on the pallet. That was fucking 48 hours. There's still people in the Superdome. There's still people there's still people in houses. They had the they had like a, a hospice that had senior citizens in it. You know what I'm saying? That required other people to go in and rescue. The police department couldn't get to them and it's like you said, it was drug dealers and, like, local people going in, stealing buses, stealing vehicles, trying to get old folks and, and people out of hospitals and um, and shit like that. But yet here I am, a part of the world's largest Navy, stuck on a base, and we ain't doing shit. You got people sitting in the USS Comfort talking about we're going to receive casualties and ain't receive not a single body bag. For hours, wow. for fucking hours, that, that, for forty-eight hours, for forty-eight hours. Wow. The first forty-eight that hours. And and that's crazy because they weren't actually, you know, from from hearing this from somebody who was actually, um, 
part, or, or, part on, on the ground on, on that side of of um, the government and, and, you know, part of being part of the military, uh, it's so disturbing because it's oh, that so much happens in 48 hours. So much and, and, been prevented. And we had so many people that was with us who had family there. You know, they're freaking out. They want to know what's up with their family members. You know what I'm right. saying? They're trying to find these lists that's supposed to have everybody's name on it. I think the protocol was, like, once you got to the stadium, you were all supposed to sign in or whatever and put your name and who you were related to. They had pictures of, like, missing people. So, you know, you're talking about people in the stadium trying to find family members, and then you have people who were in the service, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, who were from that area who were also looking for their family members. These people volunteered to go because of that. I mean, that just really pisses me off. 48 hours, that's, that's, that's nowhere near acceptable. So it's 48 hours before we get told, you know, at this point to wipe your ass. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's 48 hours. So mind you, ABC, CBS, CNN, HLN, all these motherfuckers got access to all these places that we can't even go to. But ain't nobody getting ain't nobody they're doing these they're doing these exposés in front of these hospitals where there's still patients in them and shit. Get them motherfuckers out. Wow. You had we had a couple of people who were like part of flight crews and doing rescue rescuing people off their roofs and shit like that that were being shot at because they were like, Hey, don't worry about me. I'm good. Go get the motherfucker in the house that's underwater. And because of the gunfire they would leave. They will leave. They will just fucking leave. <laughs> and, and, and 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 but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you really realize the the the, and I mean, Katrina is the reason why we have FEMA. Because you got to understand, FEMA didn't even exist. Our last biggest hurricane that we had fuck up some shit was Hurricane Andrew, and that was in 1992, and that was in Florida. That was our worst hurricane. Andrew was supposed to be our worst hurricane ever. We'll never see another hurricane like that again. Here comes Katrina. They're even, you know, now they're saying we'll have a hurricane way worse than Katrina, and it's going to hit the same area, just so you know. It's going to hit the same area, and them same fucking levees will break. Can we jump on that right now? I'm, I, I just would love to jump on that right now. I'm sorry. And again, anybody that knows me knows I'm not a conspiracy theorist person, but after hearing everything everybody has told me, the levees did not break. Them bitches were blown the fuck up. And so imagine, and, and Katrina was only, Katrina when it hit, was only a Category 3 at the time. It was only a 3. And them levees was old as shit. Now these levees are a little newer, and they're maintained a little better, supposedly. Again, that's what we're being told as as citizens because we're paying our taxes, and that's what we want to hear is that those levees are, are going to be better maintained and et cetera. 
But I'm going to tell you right now, with climate change, and I know there's a lot of people who don't believe in climate change, fuck the bullshit, I believe in climate change. I probably believe in climate change before I actually believe that there's a God because you cannot tell me, and science has proven it, you cannot tell me that what we're doing to our environment is not provoking all these crazy-ass storms. And at the at the age that we're in, we should be able to withstand some of these storms, and we can't. If you go across the pond and go into Europe and go to Sweden, they have levees and walls in Sweden that can withstand Category Five and up storms. And that was in two thousand five. If we are supposed to be the greatest nation, the greatest country in the world, why the hell can we not even get it up to Category 3? We're the most developed country in the world, the most developed country as far as civilization, as far as culture, economics, um, education. We are the most developed. But let a typhoon hit the Philippines, their maximum casualty loss is probably about two or 300 tops, depending on the size of that storm, because a typhoon is just a hurricane that spins backwards. You know what I'm saying? And when right, I was right. in Okinawa, Japan, we were in what were called super typhoons on base in Okinawa, Japan. Little island, it ain't much, but super typhoons. We didn't lose anybody. The barracks were still standing, etc. All we had to do was clean up. There may have been some minor injuries and a couple drunk Marines who thought they could fly and jump out the window with their fucking sheet from time to time, but that was probably about the worst. Super typhoons. So if an island like Japan can survive a super typhoon, like Okinawa can survive a super typhoon, that hits, you know, up there in the scales, category three and four and stuff like that. I've never been in a five. I've been in a three. Why is it in this country on the Gulf Coast Shit like this happened to, you know, maybe, you know, Gulf Pope, Mississippi, and all these other places. How come that one little region right there was almost wiped out by this one hurricane? And I was in Okinawa, Japan in 2002. I mean, the, the real answer to that is there is no answer to it. No one can, even to this day, no one can fully give me a reasonable explanation on why they dropped the ball so fucking hard. No one can give me a reasonable explanation. They're still finger pointing to this day. They're still pointing blame at each other to this day, but nobody can give me a logical explanation or understanding of what, what happened, why it happened, and what are they doing to rectify it. And 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 I'll be I'll be straight with you, I guess, because I've been a federal employee. It feels like forever. You will never get those answers. You will never get the answer to those questions. We'll never get the answer to those questions. And and I like the city of New Orleans. Don't get me wrong. I have a great time. You know, I like to go there and get like hoe up and then come home and talk about it. But from New Orleans today, really, Katrina was an opportunity, an opportunistic moment. For, for real, real gentrification, and it's a gentrification on the scale that Spike Lee is against. You get what I'm saying? Oh, 
we we had an event. We had an event that basically gave us an opportunity to displace a whole bunch of undesirable people. Some of them were undesirable, but a lot of them weren't. And to regain that that land that we've been trying to get from the ass for years, we got it. So now New Orleans, you know, not only is it just a tourist, it's more of a tourist town than anything. The people, the few I mean, it's people that live there, yeah, but the few people that live there don't even like it there anymore. I mean, that's the kind ones of that the I point. The that's ones that really I talked the point to, they've made. Yeah, the ones that I've talked to that are that were born and raised there, that lived through Katrina, they don't even like it there anymore. It's overpriced. It's very. It's it's expensive. It's expensive. I mean, you'll have a good time, but it is expensive. And I mean, it's it it has really become. It's almost like going to Miami, basically. Like you know, people who live there and shit. Like they enjoy it, but it's not like it used to be, or it doesn't get that. It doesn't have that home presence like it used to have. I mean, you go on Treme, it's it's full of white folks. <laughs> the black there people come here to play on, to play music. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was a video on Facebook that I was watching. Now, one of my friends that's from New Orleans sh- uh, shared it with me, and I understand. Gentrification in certain in certain cases, I can right. understand it, but in a widespread scale like that, it's it bothers me. I shouldn't feel like someone that was born and raised in a city when I go back home that I'm not welcomed. Right in certain parts of the city that I've always been able to go to and be welcomed, or I shouldn't be able to be able to go home and go to places where I grew up in, places that I've played in, lived in, lived at, went to school at, wherever, and it's foreign to me now. We are a city now that has lost its identity completely. It's not even lost. We've been stripped of our identity. That is a better way of putting it. They have literally stripped the essence of what New Orleans was to us, Fuck all the tourists, because they're only there for days anyway. You have literally stripped what the essence of what New Orleans is to us away from us. You have almost essentially done what you've done to us during slavery. I'm not saying we are slaves, but it is essentially the same thing. You have stripped us of our culture, of what is our essence, and we're here now. So yeah, and, you and, know, and to say and to say like you know when when you when you when you uh you know so put the highlighter on us not being slaves, but the one thing that the the refugees from the New Orleans debacle and slaves had in common is they weren't treated all the way human. Even everybody can remember the news reports. You see certain color families they're they're finding shelter, they're gathering supplies, and other color families they're looting and they have guns in their face. And, and, and things are happening with law enforcement down there. Um, the national, you know, part of the National Guard went from going down to help and put sandbags up to, to patrol certain areas and patrol certain people and, and, and make certain arrests in certain areas. And it was, it was, it was just so unbalanced and it was just so ignorant. Uh, the fa- failure across the board, all the way 
from who I believe got got he got a free ride out. And I I get it. Listen, you know I I am a excuse me everyone. You know I'm Bush guy. You know what I mean? But I can tell you I can openly and honestly tell you where Bush went wrong and Bush did this whole thing wrong. But I also lay a lot of the blame on Mayor I believe his name was Ray Nagin at the time, Democratic Mayor Ray Nagin, who just kind of yeah. hid under this rock and let let the Bush administration take you know take all the blame. Where we don't, we honestly, and I'm not, trust me, Bush deserves all the blame that he can get for that. It, that's hands down. I would never defend his handling of Hurricane Katrina. Um, well, it's, but it wasn't I, just I, him. Like, it's, you I, know, you got you to gotta throw Bobby Jindal under that damn bus, too. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think that. I think I he's, think the, one, he's I think, the one who needs to hit the windshield the hardest. Because I think, Jindal, I think, think about how long I think it Katrina, to put in I think a state Katrina of emergency. literally disqualifies. I think Katrina disqualifies Bobby Jindal running for president. If I ran against Bobby Jindal, I would just look at him. I, no matter what the the question could be about the economy, the Keystone Pipeline, it could be about military funding, and I would say, can you just explain what happened in, in your state? And we'll just start there, Katrina, and everything. Oh, else, y'all got to we'll remember to everything when else. Katrina happened. Bobby Jindal wasn't the governor. Kathleen Blanco was. She fucked up too, but didn't she resign? She resigned, but it, it was it, no. She ride her term out, and she just didn't go again. Oh, okay, probably because that whole that whole damn thing. But like when you like Bobby Jindal, like Anderson Cooper was supposed to have a a, a show about Hurricane Katrina ten years later, and it got bumped. It got canceled basically, and you know Anderson Cooper. When when the hurricane was announced, he was already in New Orleans. He was already standing like near the shelter. He was doing all his interviews and stuff by the shelters and stuff like that, and the evacuation centers and that bus lot that just happened to have all these buses that nobody was moving. And I think he was the only person who asked the question, "Why aren't these buses full of people? Why aren't we getting these people out? Why are y'all still here?" And he's a journalist. At the same time, you had so many people that played a part. You got that sorry-ass mayor, and then the, the, the sheriff who, like, jumped. He just quit. Damn there, all the cops just walked off the job because they were like, fuck this shit, I'm out. So you talking about your whole local government infrastructure just quit on the citizens in that city. Everybody just quit. And for some reason, and I do remember them saying, oh, it's not going to hit New Orleans. But this shit hit New Orleans. Because if y'all remember, Hurricane Katrina was supposed to hit Miami, and it was during the MTV Video Awards. I don't know if y'all remember that or not. It was supposed to hit Miami, Florida. And it and it went around Florida. It lost strength, and then it, like, chilled in the Gulf, and then it decided to move. That hurricane wasn't even supposed to be in the Gulf, it was supposed to break up into a tropical depression, and it didn't happen. But all these people knew. Now, the weather services, they knew because they kept telling people to evacuate. I think those yeah. were the only people that were on their job. I mean, but here's the thing about evacuation when it comes to New Orleans. You have to look at the the makeup of people in New Orleans. Yeah, that's When it true. comes to New Orleans, we're a city that really if we don't you don't need a car to get around in New Orleans. Right. A car is not necessary. You can get to wherever you need to get to in New Orleans on a bus. Literally. Mm-hmm. 
everywhere yep. you need to get to on a bus in New Orleans. So a lot of people relied on public transportation. A lot of people right. didn't have cars. A lot of people right. are are from the Betsy the Betsy era, era where they went through Hurricane Betsy and they were like, well, I went through her. I'm going to stick it out. So you have yes. all these people, all this on top of that. If the government steps in and says you have no choice, you need to leave. We're not having this conversation. And. I mean, and you're right. And real quick, uh, just just for just for clarification and for fact-checking purposes, um, uh, Jinda was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Louisiana's first district during Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. I just had to make sure. I, I know his name is somewhere in that in that in that total clusterfuck of names. I just had to make sure yeah. I, I knew exactly where. But that okay. So yeah, he was still in there. Granted, yeah, he, later he on he in did. Congress. He yeah, later on Congress. he did push for he did push for uh, uh, you know legislation to help. But that was still later. So I, 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 for me, it was complete top down. Nobody, nobody is safe. If your name was associated with with Louisiana, New Orleans, Congress, the White House, FEMA, everything. In fact, the FEMA, the, the man who ran FEMA, it, it's funny. His name is Michael Brown. He he had the audacity to even say, "Stop blaming me for Hurricane Katrina." That was his statement this weekend. But again, over the weekend, a lot of news is not watched. A lot of quotes. It might it might flare up Monday. And if it does flare up Monday, you heard it here first on 2000 Story Productions. Uh, the the head of FEMA at the time I, this weekend said, "Stop blaming me for for, for Katrina." He did. Yeah, I, I, I thought that. I everything thought that he said, and I'm gonna be honest with you, that headline is misleading because I went it through is. that article because at because he never he's not necessarily saying he's not to blame. What he's saying is he's not solely to blame. He's yeah, not I the only one at that. fault. I don't think he was the only one at fault because, like I said, Hurricane Katrina was how FEMA be, even became an agency. Katrina created FEMA because FEMA is under now, FEMA is a part of uh, Homeland Security. You know what I'm saying? So if it wasn't for Katrina, FEMA, the agency, the, the, the agency that's a part of the umbrella of Homeland Security, wouldn't even exist. His ass got appointed to that job when it all went out. Well, that's not it's necessarily true. FEMA's been around for a while. It's just it just was never needed to be used. That's but a better that's way to put. I'm talking. I'm talking about like the um, like because the whole umbrella is Homeland Security. But right. FEMA, like you asked people in 2005 or, or 2004, what the fuck is FEMA? Nobody ever heard of FEMA until Hurricane Katrina. Nobody even heard of FEMA. FEMA, FEMA would, is now, FEMA, FEMA now, and and this is the problem with this is the problem with people getting appointed their jobs. They're an expert at something, but they're not. They've never dealt. They've never operated in a situation like this. You know what I'm saying? He had no background in in natural disasters or disasters of any kind. That wasn't even his background. You get what I'm saying? So I, I, I get what you, I feel you. I don't think he's solely to blame, but I do think I, I do think it all, the blame does come from the top. At the time, it was George Bush. He, it's his fault. He was the commander in chief. Deal with it. And the shit kind of just rolled downhill from there because orders and, and demands and requests were not being executed correctly. And 
people really did not, a lot of people did not know what to do. A lot of people did not know what to do. Even our dumbass president didn't know what to do. But there was no, there was no, there was no structure. There was no order. But you would have thought that more would have came from the state government of trying to get that shit organized first, so they could have at least been able to report to the president, "Hey, this is what this is what we have done on our end. This is what we need from the administration. Can you provide us X Y Z services?" To help these citizens, you get and the and the entire time and the entire time you got you got uh, Ray Hagan under a rock, and and I, I'll tell you I'll tell you the difference real quick the difference in in, in leadership, um, and I'm not advertising for Chris Christie here, but let's, I'm just want to talk about the Sandy situation <laughs> when Superstorm right. Sandy happened. Sandy and Sandy tore the boardwalk to pieces. Chris Christie was on TV every day saying, "What what, what are you doing out there?" He's actually still blackballed in the Republican Party because he, he said, you know what, the hell with you guys. I'll take a meeting with Obama straight and forward to get these people this help. Right. And, and, that's, and for me, that's the difference in, in no matter where you stand on the issues and, and real local government leadership, like don't stay under your stupid rock. Like come out and say, excuse me, can we get this aid here? Right. Because we need, I, I believe he said stop uh, sitting around here. Something like this, put up your ass or something to Congress. Yeah, you know, and, he and, did. Yeah, yeah, and, and two days later, he's in the plane with Obama, and he, he got the aid. That and he, and he still, he'll, he will never, he will never be appreciated in the Republican Party again because just because of that moment. But that's what a leader does. You know what? Fuck my party. Let me get these people this money. Let's get this aid and let's get the right. city rebuilt. And I, and I feel like Megan right. was nowhere to be found almost. Uh, because I think so I, he probably like learned from um, Ray Nagan. He was formerly the CEO of Cox Communications. If anybody's familiar with Cox Communications, um, oh. he shitty cable. Shitty that, cable. That's a yeah. cable company. Sorry. <laughs> um, he 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 was the CEO of Cox Communications. He stepped down to run for um for mayor. Now he ran as a Democrat but got all the support of the Republicans in New Orleans. So I use the term very loosely when I, when I say Ray Megan was a Democrat, very loosely. <laughs> and and, it, and at, the, at that point, it's not about parties at that point, because I don't care if you're a Democrat, independent, Republican, can you do the job? And he was so worried about the business aspects of New Orleans. Don't get me wrong. When it came to business, he was on it. But he left everything else to the side. And you cannot run a city on just business alone. Yes. And and, and with with regard to the Superdome, and that's a little fun fact about the Superdome that a lot of people didn't know. The guy who was running the Superdome, I don't have his name in front of me. I, 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 I might look that up while, we're, you know, while someone else talks after me. Um, the guy who was running the Superdome received the call one night, and by 6 o'clock the next morning, there were thousands of people in line. He received the call from uh, local government officials, and he literally said, well, hey, I need XYZ National Guardsmen. My, my entire security team has evacuated. He didn't have his, his, his he didn't have the staff that he uses for games. So he was already understaffed, under manpower. They they, they didn't yeah. have a plan on how to keep the place running after all these people got there, knowing the storm was still 
headed directly towards the damn Superdome. We watched it fall apart on the news. We watched, we watched the roof come off, the damn the parts of the roof come off of the thing. And so he had, I believe he had about, I think it was like 18, 19 of his manager staff who came in, and a few security guards left in the city, and that was to host thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You know what I mean? That, that, that's all he had. And then when the, when the dome started to flood, they realized, oh, there's five feet of water outside. Again, there, there, was, there, was no, there was nobody keeping in contact with them. So now they're all downstairs trying to keep the generators, trying to keep the generators going because they're flooding. You know, and then once it was over, you had a pitch black stadium that people had to stay in, and there, and you know, there they they got them some national guard help, but not what he requested. He was not requested. I can find the numbers. He did not get what he requested. You know what I mean? And, and, then, well, the, and then we have chaos. The Superdome should have never been a shelter. Let's just get that out the out the way. The yeah, I, I never attached it. That was that was underkept and under maintained. It was fall. It's been falling apart since I was little. <laughs> since I was my son's age, I just turned thirty this year. Let that sink sink in. My son's six. <clears throat> what I want to so know is who didn't, who didn't who didn't pick up the phone and say, "Hey, we're we're gonna we're gonna hurl uh, we're gonna uh, hurl a bunch of these people towards the Superdome." So can we get the National Guard in there? And again, I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at. You know, the mayor, I'm looking at the the representatives, the people very close to government. Who didn't make the call? You know what I mean? Who who didn't make the call? And that's, that, and that's where little, little little moments like that just go missed in situations like this, situations like Ferguson, situations like what happened in Baltimore, situations oh, well, that, 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 that directly involve It gets better, it gets better than that. It gets better than that. You know, the Red Cross was supposed to be in the Superdome, too. The Red, Cross was, the Red Cross was calling a bunch of people because they were trying to bring water and, and making sure everything, you know, because they were going to help with the sanitation. The freaking portion, mommy was everything. trying to get to New Orleans. Niggas from I the mean, Canada was trying yeah, to get to New Orleans. trying to get to New Orleans. You had, you had people coming in from other countries. Like you had, um, there, was, uh, there was a power, there was a, a group of um, people coming from like, um, they were coming from Ireland to help with, with the water and the sanitation issue and stuff like that. Couldn't reach a fucking soul. I want to you say know, it was Chavez. I, wanted, I know it was one of those countries, Chavez, or it, it could have been Castro. I'm not sure. But one of them even offered. It was Chavez. Yeah, it, was, it, was Chavez. it was Chavez. It was Chavez. Because, you know, in Venezuela, they, they deal with all kinds of crazy type of weather and all types of crazy shit on a regular basis. So, you know. Who better help? Who better equipped than the people who are living on tectonic plates that are constantly rotating and shit to come and help? But nobody answers. That's what I'm saying. You got a whole fucking state of people in the gov in the in the state and local government that just did not answer the fucking phone. All these motherfuckers didn't answer the phone. You got people coming from other countries who sees this shit happening on TV. The fucking Queen of England. Sending people, British Marines and shit over, and nobody's answering the fucking phone. Are you serious? I don't know, um, but we do have somebody on the line. I'm going to put them on. Um, last four forty one sixty six. You're on the line. Big brother, what's up, man? What's up, bro? 
All right, nothing, man. Just tuning in, man. Everybody good? Y'all doing all right tonight? Yeah, how you doing? Oh, man. Lovely, man. Lovely. Uh, Man, I just wanted to say something, man. Look, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I remember the aftermath for Katrina, dude. I remember seeing so many people coming down Interstate 20, man, through Shreveport to Marshall, man. And it was like everybody was so helpless, man. It's like... Even we tried to help, man, but, like, some of the city officials was, like, trying to way help, man. So I cried, like, looking at everybody, man. I seen so many cars. Like, you was talking about everybody was breaking in, trying to, you know, get cars and everything to leave New Orleans. I remember seeing half them cars, man. So, you know, I can just imagine what everybody went through. Like, what we get hit with in Texas, it ain't shit. We don't never get hit with shit. You know what I mean? So I can only imagine how everybody felt after the fact. And a few people know we tried to help, man, and we even put them in a place and we gave them food. Like, we had a barbecue, man, just for everybody to eat. And it was sad for them to leave, man. When they left and went to Houston, like, they got lost. Like, they couldn't even find their family, man. So I can only imagine what everybody went through, man, and that kind of hurt me deep. And every time I watch the expression on TV, man, like it brings tears to my eyes, dude, because I'm like, man, I, I've never been in nothing like that. We deal with tornadoes, yeah, that's that's common, you know. But as far as that, when y'all got hit with that, man, that, that hurt me. I ain't even going to lie to you. You know, you're like the fourth person I know um, that had like an emotional breakdown kind of when all that happened. My girlfriend... Um, even though she didn't go and she was in the Navy too, there were days when we had to like go, you know, I had to call somebody to go to her house to get her out of the house and away from her TV because she would watch the coverage like nonstop and she would just cry and cry. I even cried and I was there because I kind of felt like I can't even help it. I'm here supposed to help people and I can't help anybody. Like, me and my mom was talking, like, we, she come outside, you know, I just got out of school, I was in the 12th grade, man, and, you know, I, I stay in the country, so I'm off the interstate, so I'm seeing all these cars, and I was like, are these all these people that's coming out of New Orleans? She was like, yeah, we sat there and watched that, man, it was like, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, I've never been in there before, so, I mean, do we... Like, just leave the yard and go try to help? Or, I mean, that was the traffic was so backed up, man. Like, I I really don't even know, like, you know, what we could have did. But the people that we did meet, man, they were real nice people, man. And, and me knowing Brandon, man, and, you know, and his people being from New Orleans, man, that kind of hurt me too, man, because I know he hurt from that. I'm going to tell you all a story, um, and this is probably, like, the second hardest story for me. Anybody that knows me knows the first story. I don't like talking about it on air. But the second hardest story for me is Katrina. Me, my mother, and my my brothers and sisters, we left that Sunday when we heard it was a Category 5 and we needed to get out. My mother didn't, didn't want to take any chances, so we left and we headed towards Houston. We got to Houston, like, Monday morning. So everything's going, unfolding on TV before our eyes to our city because we honestly thought it was going to be another situation that we're so used to. We'd leave, evacuate, be gone for like a day or two, come back home, everything's okay. Not this time. My grandmother, my aunt, and my uncle, and my grandfather, 
did not come with us. So we're watching all of this unfold before our eyes. Every tower that was connected to our phones was down. We could not make any calls. We were so desperate. We were calling Sprint to see if they could patch us to them. And there is nothing worse than not knowing what's going on with your family. The un, the, just the main uncertainty of it while you're watching all of this play out like it's one big movie. Fortunately, um, by Thursday, we had heard from them. So everybody was okay, fortunately. But there are a lot of people with that exact same story that are not so fortunate. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's that hard is, to go through. And that uh, even shows you our communications. Our communications can't even withstand this type of uh, this type of disaster. Well, I mean, our, our communication system is so bad it, it can't it can't withstand a, a horrible snowstorm in, in the nation's capital. But what I want to say is, you know, <laughs> you, you, you talk about the data uh, again. I, I I keep bringing up these numbers to let people know how severe Hurricane Katrina was. On top of it being the third most powerful hurricane to ever hit the country. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the cost of the, the hurricanes, uh, the record. Um, the number two highest hurricane uh, damage cost was Hurricane Sandy in 2012, coming in at $65 billion. The number one was Hurricane Katrina at $108 billion. And do not forget, being in Category 5, being registered as a catastrophic event, um, it also carried winds anywhere between 175 to 200 miles per hour. So, again, when I see people kind of just, just are, are very lackadaisical about the, the, the impact of Hurricane Katrina, but no, this was one of the strongest things to ever hit the United States of America. People can't downplay that. People can't, you know, ignore that. They can't just calmly walk away from that. Like, it, it's something, and we're not ready for it. And we see it uh, anywhere from natural disasters, to protests, to roads, sinkholes, schools. We, it, it seems like, it, you know, as, as Americans, we're living in this myth where this quote-unquote superpower that's ready for anything, and when it comes down to it, we're not ready for anything. We're not. We're not. You can, you, you know, you, let's, let's, use, let's, let's use another area that is prone to, 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 to fucked up shit. Let's, let's use California. We all know... We all know, because they all talk about it, California literally is fucking the San Andreas fault, right? It's like in there. So imagine, y'all remember the earthquake that hit San Francisco in, um, was it 1989? It was the really bad one. I remember that. Yep. Remember that earthquake? Remember how unprepared I remember we were hearing about it. it? Oh, honey, if you get a chance, look up the video footage on that some bitch, please. I was nine years old when that happened. I was nine, okay? We weren't even ready so for that. So if you do the math, you were nine. It's 2015. We already know how old I am. We already know how old I am. It ain't a secret. I'm 35. I was nine when that happened. So that right there at the time was the most horrific thing that has happened to America to date. That was 1989. Let's, let's, let's fast forward to 2005. Hurricane Katrina happened. It's the worst thing and the most costly thing that has happened to us in American history. 
Now, mind you, California may have their event before the Gulf has theirs, only because they have tsunami dangers. They have tsunami warnings now because of earthquakes that happened in Hawaii. So if a if a volcano eruption in Hawaii and it causes a tsunami that's supposed to hit Southern California, basically the ultimate butterfly effect, how much do you think that shit's going to cost? If you even if you even lower it down, if you can lower it down to the D.C. area's quote unquote earthquake, where the where really the ground just farted for a little bit, it wasn't even it wasn't even that serious. The ground shook for like a couple seconds, and then it shook for a couple seconds again. And really, right. all you had were were maybe some fixtures in people's homes. My TV was flipped off its stand, and a couple a couple bricks fell off of the National Cathedral. But really, that was it. A couple subway signs were damaged. But really, that was it. When I tell you was, this area shut the hell down, you could not use your phone. You couldn't use your Facebook. What's funny is the only thing that really worked was Twitter. That was the weirdest part about everything. <laughs> but the earth just basically farted for a little bit, and this place was done. And, and when, yeah. when the real earthquake hits us, because it's been, it's been predicted for decades that we're going to get it, and that was just a little tease. That was a little foreplay. But when the when the real earthquake hits, we're going to be done. It's it's going to be over. When when buildings actually do fall, this area is not. I think again, I'm convinced they may be. The only thing this area is actually ready for is an invasion from another country. But other than that, <laughs> anything natural disaster wise, we can't get it done. We just, America is screwed. America is screwed on the national and on the natural disaster shit because my mom was in. You know, my mom lives in D.C. So. Of course, the earthquake happened, and because we've lived in California and shit, she didn't flinch because in her mind, oh, it's not even a, you know, it's not even a five-pointer. I ain't moving for this shit. I'm just, everything will stop shaking, and we'll be good to go. But she even said it, and she worked in Chinatown at the time. So when she said that she couldn't even get to work that day, she couldn't even get to fucking work. And she was like, why are y'all tripping? This ain't shit. <laughs> she was like, so a couple bricks fell off some buildings. There's a crack in the Washington Monument. That's that all crack that, been, that That crack could have been there for years. <laughs> Y'all just noticed it because the earth shook. It was like you said, the earth farted, D.C. shook, and everybody lost their fucking mind. To me, it was funny, but on the out, you know, I had to, like, rethink that laughter because, like you said, what if it was bigger? Everybody in Washington, D.C., D.C., Maryland, Virginia would have been screwed. Y'all would have been screwed so good without lube, dinner, a cocktail. Y'all would have been totally fucked. And you in you in the nation's capital, and you can't even get up in the nation's fucking capital. What's wrong with that picture? So it's like, again, this country is not prepared for any natural disaster that may come to us in the future. The only way that you will be prepared is basically every household and family need to have their own emergency kit, be ready to go. That's the only way you're going to be prepared because if you rely on these motherfuckers and your government to do anything for you, you are you sorry out of luck. You will be better off preparing your family on your own. And I'm not a doomsday person or no being, no being shape, or form. And I think some of those people are like batshit crazy, but they have the right idea. Like they really, really do. They have the right 
fear. That's the only way that you will survive anything on that caliber. That goes for hurricanes, that goes for earthquakes, goes for blizzards, and that goes for what am I missing? Am I missing something? Earthquakes, hurricanes, and fires. That's the only way. Zombie apocalypse, yep, yep, we'll throw that in there for shits and giggles. Why not? You know, we had an Ebola scare. We might as well have a zombie apocalypse in there. So that's the only way you will survive because your government will not help you. I work for I feel like, and they, they, they are so, um, they're so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the Obviously the government is shady because, you know, there's so many things that we aren't aware of. And just in the fact that so many things that, hell, even tonight that we weren't aware of as far as like, the, where you know the, where the military stood and stuff, and you being a part of that kind of sh- you know shared that with us tonight. It, it's it's just so mind-boggling that we're trusting this entity that you know things are gonna um, think they're they're supposedly they're supposed to take care of us, but obviously they're not taking care of them. I mean that's that's what really is the the funny thing about it. If anybody remembers the whole concept of the democratic government, it's government that specifically is designed to work for the people. The people, not the other way around, because it really we're being pimped out by our government. Yeah, you you are. We are being pimped out by our government. It, and 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 again, you know, to to add, it's like insult to injury. You know what I'm saying? You know, to add more insult to injury, all those fuckers that sit, that work in the Capitol building, they're taken care of. Their families are good to go. But you, me, um, my mom, my dad, you know, we got to look out for ourselves. We have to fend for ourselves. In a government that's supposed to be for us, where we elect these dumbasses, you know, because at that point you're really electing, you're really voting for the person that is selling you the best bullshit at that point. You yeah. already know they're not going to make do on their promises. You just know, like, sell water to the fucking well. Give me what you got. You sound right. like the biggest bullshitter. You sound like you fit a platform that I can be behind. I'm voting for you. That motherfucker is set for life. You, your kids, your family, your friends, they're not. They're not. So that's why I say, in light of Hurricane Katrina, people need to, individuals and families, they need to start spending for themselves and plan for themselves. You're going to have to. That's the only way you're going to survive. That's the only way you're going to survive, whatever comes next. I don't know what's coming next. I don't even want to know what's coming next. I want to be surprised like everybody else. But I don't want to be ignorant. You get what I'm saying? Hurricane Katrina yeah. allows people to be ignorant. It'll never happen again. Bullshit. If there's one thing history has taught us, it has taught us it repeats. And it comes back with a vengeance. Shit's like the Die Hard franchise. Um, definitely agree with that. What I want to get back on is the gentrification. Because I don't think we touched on that enough. 
when, especially when it comes to New Orleans. Um, okay, so um, so y'all all know Spike Lee is totally against the gen- is, is totally against gentrification, like um, how he talks about the gentrification that has happened in New York, mostly because it's mostly in Harlem because you know Bill Clinton lives in Harlem and shit like that. So, um, New Orleans has. I'm trying to think of the district. It's the art district that they have. Yeah. God, it's not the warehouse district. It's the um. So it's the art district, and then there's the uh, warehouse district, which is essentially okay, the so, same thing. So you know, the warehouse district is pretty much gentrified. Is is a gentrification project in itself, right? Right. I am aware. They have. They have, and parts of Treme too, uh, depending on where you go, because of the HBO move, the HBO show miniseries Treme. So right. that's another another thing. So with New Orleans, a lot of their big gentrification efforts have actually come from Hollywood, basically. So you know that show uh, was it True Detective? It's filmed in New Orleans. Uh-huh. And they filmed a lot of scenes from Django Unchained in New Orleans. They had the shows out there. So a lot of the gentrification efforts actually started with your production companies that needed those those areas to look a certain way. Then you have your TV show like The Originals. The Originals on the CW is filmed in New Orleans. The whole cast lives in New Orleans. So... Now you have everybody wants to do all their shows and work there in New Orleans, but they're not very comfortable with some of the surrounding areas. So people, you know, because you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, they got some money. They start buying up a whole lot of those those older buildings that has a little salon in the middle that are really, really cute. They build them up. They either sell them to people who want to buy them, and usually they turn them into vacation rentals or they turn them into little hotels or what have you. So that was where it started. There was some bartenders that I ran into in the Frenchman that told me about their Katrina experience. They lost, they couldn't get their bars back. They had to leave. They came back. They tried to get their buildings back, their bars, and they couldn't get their bars back. And they had to go into these relationships, these business relationships, in order to get their bars back. That was really part of the regentrification effort of New Orleans, which helped increase those prices in New Orleans and, and things like that. When they redid that hotel, uh, they did Harris, when they redid it and stuff like that, you know, you know, Peyton Manning's dad has a restaurant in that hotel, right? Right. Called Manning. Peyton Manning gave a lot of money to Harris so his dad could have that restaurant, but it was under certain conditions. Now, those conditions are not available for public record. You know, that damn, you know, they're not available for public record. But that is the stipulation. So a lot of those business owners that were that had to leave New Orleans and come back had to go into these partnerships with these other business folk who had more money than them. And they're pretty much not their own boss anymore. And so when you get people who are in those types of situations, that type of business practice starts to spread and becomes a trend, 
because it's almost like signing your soul over to the devil. Like, do you want your bar back? Yeah. Well, this is the this, these are the conditions, and then it just kind of goes forward from there. Um, like Brad Pitt, he, I think Brad Pitt's work is very admirable, but at the same time, I find them houses ugly as fuck. But at the same time, you have people in neighborhoods that if it was New Orleans back in the day, they would have, they would never consciously go into those neighborhoods on their own or drive through them. Oh, definitely. I mean, but now when you go into those neighborhoods, they're all mixed, a very mixed bunch. Even the Europeans are coming back to New Orleans and, I mean, settling there. It's totally different. New Orleans literally used to be chocolate city. They were chocolatier yeah. than D.C. It's not like that anymore. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you should be able to revitalize a neighborhood and still keep the local people involved without these stipulations and these hidden conditions that require them to stay. Because those ugly-ass houses, if those people, because he built them for the people who suffered from Katrina, but they all got their FEMA check. So now they're like, well, fuck, I don't want to live here anymore. That house is now worth over a half a million dollars. That ugly little ass house is worth a half a mil. It's totally green. It's totally green. It's a totally green house. So everything in there is like made from recycled materials and everything. But now I got my FEMA check. I got my new Cadillac because it seemed like when I drove through that neighborhood, everybody had a fucking Cadillac. I don't want to live here anymore putting this house on the market. The last time I, when I went back last year, five of those houses were for sale. Two of them were already sold. I mean, those can we talk about that for a minute, too? That's how worth like, half a like. fucking mil. So you're talking about how the wards are like half a million dollar homes now. Yeah. Like the Road to Home project was designed to get people from New Orleans back in those homes. Back into New Orleans. Yeah, back in New Orleans. But of course that never happened because magically money disappeared. That's the problem with a lot of the issues with Katrina. New Orleans fucking politics. Everybody has their hand in the cookie jar. And then when everybody takes their hand out the cookie jar so they can see what's in the cookie jar to try to help help with something else or feed somebody else, guess what? All we have are crumbs. I'm just saying, and, and if you think about what's happening in New Orleans, think about what's going on in D.C. right now. The Southeast, Southeast, they doing the same shit, but they slicker about their shit, though. Because if you, I don't know if y'all ever go on this site, it's called Zillow. I do. Yeah, yeah we do. You do? Yeah. Look at, how much, look at how much some of those buildings that have units in are selling for right now. Just look at it. And then look across the street from that fucking building. They are slowly and surely doing the same shit in D.C. Because 
D.C. isn't going to have no natural disaster like Katrina. But they will use eminent domain to relinquish somebody at their home really quick. Because the only thing, I mean, the, the thing, the thing about living in D.C. is proximity to power. As long as you got the Capitol building there and the White House there, it'll be a justifiable reason to get people who live in low-income housing out of those areas into the city and pushing them into like areas like Laurel. We'll just throw them all in Laurel. They ain't too far, but they, you know, they they can catch the train. They can get to work. And they I see give that them a lot access. in the Northeast as well. Yes. And, 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 you know, they'll give them some money, but it won't be enough to get a new house or or to even get a townhome, not when a townhome in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area is averaging at 400000 well, That's the whole point, though. That is the whole point. So we have these we have these areas, we have these communities where the cost of living is already high. You know what I'm saying? It's not as high as New York City, but it's high enough. And just being near, like I said, proximity to power, being near the White House drives your market value of your property up even more, even in your shittiest neighborhood. So let's say they clear out a good chunk of Southeast D.C., they clear out a good chunk of South, throwing a Whole Foods. We'll add another world market over here, you know, adjacent to the train, and you know they can catch the metro here, et cetera, et cetera. That drives that property value in that particular area and the taxes through the frickin' roof, and people will pay it, mostly white folks, and they will pay that shit. Especially when you have developing magnets coming from Virginia buying that fucking land. Because they've already, they've already built up Tyson's Corner and all that other shit. It's time to move up. What haven't we bought yet? And they're just going to slowly, I think really the goal is to push everybody to West Virginia. I'm not really sure. But I kind of feel like that's the plan. But really, really soon, in the next 30 years, North Virginia, D.C., Maryland, the cost, the, the median uh, income is going to be about $90,000. And they say to live happy in that area, you need to be making 73000 a year. And I totally agree, I totally agree with you, Almadoy. And, and when it comes to gentrification, it, it is, I, I, do, I do love how you mentioned what, what, the, what, what the goal is, what, what, where, where are they trying to push these people? Because in some neighborhoods, they then the, the residents are fortunate enough to get vouchers. It's like, thank you, you can head out to XYZ, you can go to Dumfries, you can go to Richmond, you can go to Stafford. What, what, right. I, think, what I think the goal is is to push all these families that migrated up here from the south and from other areas and from other parts of the north to push them back to where they came from. And that's why, that's why you can get a voucher, but, oh, your voucher only affords you to live in, in, in Dumfries. Your right, right. Only yeah. affords you to live in Stafford. Your voucher only affords you to live in Fredericksburg. Go ahead and migrate back down south and struggle. Meanwhile, the new the new U Street's being built. The the new right. Chinatown is up. Meanwhile, all these other du- Dupont is just busting prisons. They're taking places that were one way streets. They throw in, like you said, the Whole Foods and and, and all these other and all these other uh, grocery stores. But then they throw in the bike lanes. 
They get ice cream. And then Capital Bike Share shows up. You know what I mean? And, 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 and streets right. that were one-way streets that were holy streets and, 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 and streets with potholes and drug-infested streets. Oh, well, well, now they're two-way streets with bike lanes and, and, and brunch spots. And, and, and everything right. is so brand new. And, and then there are these new condos because, for me, gentrification, all it really is is tearing down the black community and building a new white community. It's clean cut. Clean cut. And the only people, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make, make this a racial show, but the only people who try to convince me that gentrification is good are white people. I don't think it, 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 it is. Now, I don't know. There was an article, uh, I want to say I found it in The Guardian. There is a, you know, there's a Chinatown in San Francisco. Chinatown in San Francisco was about to be appropriated. Basically, somebody was going to come in and buy everybody out in Chinatown. This is what the community did. They all went to a bank. All those businesses that were owned by all those people who lived there, homes, everything, they all went to the bank and created one big-ass fund for that community. And so what they did is that everybody gets charged a certain percentage, and it goes into the account for the community. So when somebody tries to buy them out, they say, no, we can take care of it. So they'll, what they'll do is say, well, you need to get your roads fixed. We have money for that. We can fix it. And they, what they do is they use that money to fix up their neighborhood. So they basically put the money back into these same businesses. So you got these contractors who are Asian. You say, hey, we have a pothole on F Street. They give them the money. They fix the pothole. They take care of their own neighborhood. That is the shit black people need to be fucking doing. Not well, only well, that, did they opened, do that, that not that only did the they door. do that, they've raised their, they've even increased the property value because they have been doing it themselves and it has not been taken from taxes for the city. That, that opens the door to the subject of community leadership, and I don't know if we're going to dive in there because I, I, we could be here all night on that one. Um, right. And especially but leadership just, within the black community and, and going from having our own stores, policing our own churches, policing our own neighborhoods, um, you know, having groups that were that were there for the children to what we have now, and where where, where the system has been totally broken, and 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 I don't know if I can't even begin. And some of you people are from New Orleans, so maybe you can help me out. I don't even remember seeing anything on community leadership in New Orleans, just like there's none, you know, in the Chinatowns, in the Baltimores, in the Fergusons, and and, and and pretty much wherever. So when you talk about community leadership, a neighborhood like that has guided community leadership, and, and, and there's and, a plan. Well, really what it I mean, was Orleans, is that the, the really what it was is that those people – oh, I'm sorry. Finish. Sorry. Oh, well, I was, I was going to say what it really, really in New Orleans, there really is no community leadership. There are people that will step up in, in certain times or aspects, but you don't really have, like, a leader that you can go to in New Orleans when shit needs to get done. Right. And with the Chinatown example, with this, with this community, you know, they don't have a city council. Basically what it is, they send out an email, we're having a meeting. You know, they shut the whole little community down. Like if somebody can't make it to the meeting, they reschedule. No decision is made without all those people present because everybody in that room, everybody's money is now involved. And they only do things if there's unanimous votes only. They have to be unanimous. 
and it's it, 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 and it's and and it is sad that they had to go they had to bring it to that point because they they I'm pretty sure they had like aldermans and things like that, but they weren't benefiting that community. You get what I'm saying? Because anytime something happens in a neighborhood, that local political figure, the alderman or whoever the person, the comptroller, they get a cut too. So basically, they cut the middleman out and said, "We're taking charge of this shit." I have to find that article, but it was it was in the Guardian, but it was really really good, and it was how they avoided gentrification in their neighborhood in San Francisco, in Chinatown in San Francisco, which it, it sits on a really big hill, and you can see all of San Francisco. So you got to understand why they wanted that property. Those people have been there since 18, their families had been there since 1849. They were part of the 49ers, basically, from the gold rush. That's how old that particular area in San Francisco is. And it sits on a fucking hill that overlooks the whole fucking city. If I'm fucking Mr. Monopoly Man and I want some prime real estate and I see you sitting on that shit, guess what I want to do? I want to buy you the fuck out because I want my condo there. They did the same shit in Chicago and Caprini Green. Caprini Green was a notorious project in Chicago that they tore down because of where it sat. Those projects sat in a location that had value and where they wanted to build condos. And they wanted these new, rich, up-and-coming, buffy kids coming through, spending all their money, and that's what they do. And that's really all it is. In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they had a district called the Hill District, and that's where all the black, that's where a good chunk of the black folks live. They have been trying to get that land for years. That's where they put all the black people, you know, during the Depression, was in the Hill District in Pittsburgh, and it sits on a hill. And guess what it overlooks? You can see the whole skyline of Pittsburgh from that fucking hill, and you have direct access to downtown Pittsburgh. You just got to take one fucking bus. And it's kind of the same thing, not even kind of the same thing, it's the exact same thing in the lower night ward of New Orleans. I mean, those homes are all owned by black black people, and they weren't giving up their homes. Believe me, the city has tried so many times to get those that area. Katrina comes, snatch. They got it. Because now you have situations where either, A, people cannot or aren't able to come home, or, B, they don't want to come home. Right. So it, uh, it's just so much. We really could keep this going, show going for a very long time, but it's about it's four minutes before we close. Everybody's final thought. Let's start with Black G, I mean, J- Jason Terrell. Jason. Yeah, I, I I love watching you juggle between the two names. It's so cool. It, it, um, it, it, it's um, hard sometimes, just a little bit. I, I can I can <laughs> always be black. I can always be black Um, just 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 remember, folks, when you talk to Trina, uh, George Bush totally screwed the pooch. He totally screwed the pooch. He was not responsible enough. But at the same time, make sure make sure you lean back on the Jindals and the Ray Nagans. And the, and the other people that were involved. Make sure you lean back on the police force that abandoned their posts and gave up on their citizens. 
make sure you lean back on the limited number of National Regard, uh, the, the National Guard reservists who were supposed to be in there and weren't in there. Make sure you lean back on the people that were sitting there waiting to go in and never got in. Make sure you lean back on FEMA, who actually brought truckloads of dead bodies to the stadium and held them in front of the stadium. That's something else that people don't know. In front of the Superdome. FEMA, they figured that was a good place to bring some of the dead bodies. Uh, two 18-wheelers, two 18-wheelers uh, of full dead bodies showed up there. Folks, always do your research. Don't just, just, don't just go with you what you see on Channel 5. Hit up the BBC. Hit up the Associated Press. Get in, dig deep, and find out what the real numbers are. It was, it was a catastrophic hurricane, and, and we, we have to be prepared for these situations. And community leadership, every subject we talk about, no matter where, be it two sides of the story, be it True Radio Network, be it wherever, be it other places I talk about on Internet Radio, it always comes down to community leadership, no matter what the problem is. Without community leadership, we have nothing. Thank you for having me on. Drops mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tommy Uh In, in uh, the aftermath and, you know, life after Katrina, I, I will say this. this that, whole, that whole event and events that are coming has pr- really pretty much made me and my family members just be prepared to the T for the worst in any scenario. Um, you have to, and you can't. Please don't rely on Facebook for the quote-unquote truth. No, just like this Terrell said, do your own research, do your own fact-checking. A lot of the information that you can find, you know, thanks to FOIA, Freedoms of Information Act, you can see it, and it's all public, and it's available to you. You just have to go out there and look for it. And if somebody say they can't get it for you, guess what? It has no thing to fill out that Freedoms of Information Act form because you get that information within 72 hours, and it's yours, and you can share it because it's public information. Don't uh, definitely look outside of headline news and and things like that. You got Al Jazeera that has been reporting on the 10-year anniversary. You know, if you know some people who were displaced, you know, it's nothing like real-life accounts. Of, of displacement and feeling like a refugee. Those are the people that can give you the information and definitely tell you their side and what they felt and what they saw. And especially locals like like um like Brandon, he definitely has it, you know, and he's you know, he's from there. But always be prepared. Prepare your families. I mean, don't go doomsday, but just definitely be prepared for anything. Nowadays, because you just don't know what's coming. All right, do sir. Um, I always say, in situations like this, it's always if don't trust what the what the government is telling you, because obviously, um, like we said before, they the government hides shit from us. They 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 do not have our best interests at heart. So you have to take care of yourself. Always prepare yourself. If you if you are if there's like alerts, especially with like the weather forecast, and 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 they're telling you that it's it would be wise for you to evacuate, just prepare. It's better to over prepare than under prepare. Um, mm-hmm. Look out for your family's safety as well as your own. Research everything and make your voice be heard in whichever way you can, whatever avenue 
um, that you can get your voice heard and so that, you know, it's not only for yourself but also for your community um, and your family members, um, do so. And everything else that I was thinking has already been said. So just take care of yourself, take care of your family, be prepared and, and do a lot of research so that you know what you're getting into or be or be ready for what what the possibilities of what can come. Okay. Um, I want to thank everybody that came through. Jason Terrell, I'm Enjoy, Dulce Diva. Um, definitely check out True Radio Network. That's our brother station. They're definitely they're doing some good work over there. Oh, and um, definitely um, shout out to Bruce for um, stopping through also. If you want to find out more about Katrina, some of the stuff that the media will never, ever tell you, a documentary I always at, tell people to watch when they're looking for when, when they're trying to look, on, look for stuff for Katrina, watch When the Levees Break by Spike Lee. Oh, a, it is an awesome one. documentary, and it is the telltale truth. I will warn you, there are parts that are going to hit, hit you hard. There are parts that are going to make you mad. There are parts that are going to make you sad. There are parts that are going to make you cry. But if you want the full experience, not just from the media side, but from people that actually went through it, check out when the levees break. Um, fuck yeah. Bush. Fuck Ray Nagin. Fuck Mike Brown. Fuck Kathleen Blanco. Fuck everybody that just put us in such an awful awful situation that we had to go through unnecessarily. So fuck all of them. And I'll be waiting for whoever comes to my door to stick me with the serum. (laughs) But I want to end us out in a very typical New Orleans fashion. When we're in remembrance over someone that's passed away, we don't mourn we second line to celebrate their life. So I'm not going to mourn my city. I'm going to celebrate what my city meant to me. Everybody have a great night, and we will talk to you guys next week. Deuces. Thanks. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.